Welcome to Parkside Green's Fall Bible Study. Uh, Pastor Steve here, just very excited to resume our study of the Gospel of Luke. I hope you had a great summer and you are ready for the fall. Uh, as we saw last spring, Luke's Gospel, it's, it's no made-up fairy tale or myth. These events happened. They were passed down by eyewitnesses. And after careful investigation, Luke tells us he wrote them down. Luke knows what he's writing about. His information is good. Luke has written an orderly account for us, a narrative as someone who followed all these things closely for some time. And then he interviewed those who gave testimony as eyewitnesses. Luke's gospel then, it gives us the certainty of the good news that we have been taught about who Jesus is and what he said and what his kingdom is like. Now, if you were part of the study last spring, you'll remember that when we compare him with Matthew and Mark and John, we see how Luke has several special emphases in his gospel. Number one, how God's plan of salvation is for Jews and Gentiles alike. God's kingdom includes everyone who puts their trust in him. Secondly, how crucial prayer is for Jesus and for his followers. Prayer is how we communicate with and, and develop our relationship with God. Thirdly, how the Holy Spirit empowers Jesus and his followers. Right? You remember how Jesus ministered in the power of the Spirit, and so can we. Fourthly, how women like Elizabeth and Mary, Joanna, Susanna, and many others played vital roles in God's unfolding plan of salvation. Fifthly, how God has a special concern for the poor and the Samaritans. God came to save through his son Jesus people from every segment of the world. And sixthly, how God is bringing about this great reversal so that some who are last now will be first, and some who are first now will be last. So we'll keep an eye out for those themes as we get into our study. Another thing we're going to want to keep an eye on is for Jesus' parables. Right? We're going to find them in nearly every chapter of our study this fall. Luke chapter 8, 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14, they're in every single chapter except for chapter 9. And since Jesus told around a dozen parables in our section, Luke 8 to 14, it's good for us, I think, to take a few minutes just for a refresher on what the parables are all about. Now, Jesus was not the only person to utilize parables. The, the philosopher Aristotle used them to illustrate or confirm propositions. Jewish rabbis used them to explain biblical texts. But Jesus' parables uniquely engage his hearers directly and call for a response from us. So they're not tame stories just meant for kids. Jesus' parables can be explosive. They, they teach profound truths about God, often in surprising ways. All of Jesus' parables use comparison in one way or another, but his parables range from what we might think of in our day as uh, metaphors, see that in Luke 5, proverbs, find that in Luke 6, short stories, 
Luke 8 and 12 and 13 contain those. Similes are found in Luke 13 and 21. Behavioral guidelines in Luke 14. And then the longer stories, maybe that we remember Luke 14, 15, 16, 20. Now, a cool thing about all of Jesus' parables, whether they're short or long, is that they deal with familiar subjects from everyday life, right, that the common person can relate to. Seeds and leaven, plants and animals, slaves and kings, rich and poor, losing and finding, men and women. They use physical examples to help us understand spiritual truths. All of Jesus' parables use physical examples to help us understand spiritual truths. Now, through most of church history, it was common to interpret the parables allegorically, assigning a special meaning to every single detail in the story. For instance, when the early church leader Origen interpreted the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, he said this is what it meant. The traveler who was attacked was Adam. Jerusalem, from which he left, was paradise, and Jericho, toward which he was heading, was the world. The robbers, he said, were hostile influences and enemies of humanity. The traveler's wounds, he said, were his sins. The priest represented the law. The Levite, he said, represented the prophets. And the Good Samaritan was Christ. And also, according to Origen, the donkey was the physical body of Christ. The inn, where the traveler recuperated, he thought was the church. The two coins paid to the innkeeper were knowledge of the Father and knowledge of the Son. The innkeeper stood for angels looking out for the church, Origen said. And the return of the Good Samaritan to pay the outstanding balance to the innkeeper was the second coming of Christ. Whoa, <laughs> you may wonder, is that how we're meant to interpret Jesus' parables? Well, in the late 1800s and early 1900s, a German scholar named Adolf Ulicker argued against allegorizing Jesus' parables. And he said we must draw from the parable only one thought. He popularized them what we might call single point interpretation. But this approach also runs into problems since sometimes Jesus himself provides interpretations of his parables that assign meaning to several elements in the story, right? Lots of times there is more than just one point. So a challenge we face is figuring out when Jesus is giving kind of ornamental details just to, to flesh out a story, and when Jesus meant for those details in the story to stand for something important. Next week, when we begin our Bible study in Luke, we will start with the parable of the sower, or sometimes called the parable of the seed. And I think we would do well to follow four guidelines as we approach Jesus' parables. Number one, follow Jesus' example in understanding the details of the parables. See, the nice thing with the, the parable of the sower or seed is that Jesus himself provides the divine interpretation for what the path and rocky soil and the thorns and the good soil all stand for. And it appears that Jesus' approach falls somewhere between single-point interpretation and allegorical interpretation. It seems like Jesus draws out sort of like one main point per main item, 
with each main point teaching us a spiritual lesson. So our number one guideline is follow Jesus' example in understanding the details of the parables. Second guideline, study the historical context and the literary context. See, background information that you might find in your study Bible in the notes or commentaries, other sources, can give us a, a fuller, richer understanding of how Jesus' parables might have been received by his original audiences. We must first understand what a parable meant in first century Palestine before we can properly understand what it means for us in 21st century Northeast Ohio. Also, what comes right before a parable or right after a parable in Luke's Gospel can give us clues about its meaning. For instance, when we get to the story of the Good Samaritan in chapter 10, we'll be helped by grasping the historical context of what Jews thought of Samaritans and what Samaritans thought of Jews. We'll also be helped by paying attention to the literary context of what comes right before the parable. You remember, we, we see a lawyer who was putting Jesus to the test and he desired to justify himself. And Jesus teaches the lawyer, hey, it's not about drawing limits about who qualifies for being my neighbor, who is the neighbor who I must love to keep the law. No, it's about seeing opportunities of showing neighbor love to people we come across who are in need. So number two guideline, study the historical context and the literary context. Number three, do not build a doctrine based on an unexplained parable alone. Tertullian, way back in the late second century, said, we do not take the parables as sources of doctrine. Rather, we take doctrine as a norm for interpreting the parables. Henry Verkler in the late 20th century puts it this way, Parables can serve an important purpose of fixing doctrine in our memories in a particularly striking fashion. However, Orthodox expositors unanimously agree that no doctrine should be grounded on a parable as its primary or only source, because parables are by nature more obscure than doctrinal passages. Thus, doctrine should be developed from the clear prose passages of Scripture and parables used to amplify or emphasize that doctrine." End quote. In other words, we should check our interpretation of the parables against what we know to be true from the rest of the Bible, right? letting the clear passages help us interpret the less clear passages. So number three, do not build a doctrine based on an unexplained parable alone. Fourth and finally, Apply the parable to your own life. We don't want to become just smarter sinners with more head knowledge. We want to become more sanctified saints, right, with, with holier lives. As Jesus said at the, the end of his Sermon on the Mount, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Right? We want to be wise. So each week, before, during, after our study, pray and ask the Holy Spirit to show you how to live out the truth that you're learning. 
So our fourth and final guideline, apply the parable to your own life. Okay, hopefully you are eager to get started, but some of you are new to Parkside Bible study, and even those returning, we've been away from it for over the summer, so let me remind you of what the rhythm of each week is going to look like. You're going to start out by studying the passage for yourself. This is so important, right? If we want to hear from God, we have to see what God's Word actually says. Not necessarily what we want it to say, but what it actually says. So I'm going to email you the text, and you can mark it up with circles and stars and underlining and colors, uh, personal notes, whatever works for you. And your own study then is going to lead to six observations that you're going to write down. And those are simply things that you notice or learn in the passage itself. In that same weekly email, usually on Thursday mornings, you'll also receive five or six study and discussion questions. And you can pray for God's help and, and then write out your answers to those questions as well. It's going to help you grasp what the passage means and also how to respond to it in your own life. Now, we all live as human beings with this powerful force of inertia <laughs> that just keeps us in the same place in our lives. You picture like a huge stationary boulder that just doesn't move because of inertia. But God wants to move us, to, to change us so that we can become more like his magnificent son. When we apply God's word, it can change how we think. <laughs> we replace lies that we believe with godly truth. When we apply God's word, it can change how we feel. We increasingly love God and others, which is exactly what we're designed to do. Thirdly, when we apply God's word, it can change what we do. We, we can put away old selfish behaviors and live more like Jesus. God's word then can change our heads, our hearts, and our hands. And if you want to change as God wants you to change, you have to apply God's word. Not just with vague generalities, but with applications that are specific to your life. By his grace, God can change everything in every area of your life that needs changing. Also, in that same weekly email, you'll receive my 20-minute teaching on the passage. And after watching or, or listening to it, feel free to add in new ideas or observations, anything that's helpful uh, in your own application of how you answer those study questions. And then you get the privilege of gathering with your small group to share insights, to pray together. If you're naturally talkative, right, you, you may have to hold back a little bit uh, and say, I'm going to let a few other people go before I jump back in. If you're naturally quiet, you, you may have to kind of push yourself to get out there and, and share your thoughts with the group. Because, remember, God is going to be teaching each one of us in our own time of study so that each of us will bring something valuable to contribute when we meet together in our small groups, in person or online. So let's sharpen each other with the insights that we bring. Be willing to share those. Now, this first week is going to be a little bit unique. Right? You have no preparation to do before you meet on Wednesday, September 7th, or Sunday, September 11th. 
The small group time during this first week is unique in that it's just going to be time spent getting to know the people in your group or, or if you're returning catching up uh, with group members. And then next week, again usually look for it on Thursday mornings, be on the lookout for uh, in your email a copy of the passage, right, that'll guide your own observations. And some of you have already picked up print copies of all the text and the space for observations. But each week with my teaching, you'll also get a, a handout on study or application questions, and as well as the video teaching. It is such a privilege to study God's Word. I mean, God breathed out His Word to us. And as we seek Him, God helps us to understand His Word. God's Word guides us, it, it teaches us, it corrects us when we get off track. God's Word revives us, it nourishes us, it helps us to fight sin, it encourages us, it gives us hope. May God help us relate the greatest true story of all time, the story of Jesus found in Luke's Gospel, to the stories of our lives. Let's ask God for help as we pray together. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Word. Uh, we thank you for inspiring Luke's gospel and preserving it over the years. We thank you for continuing to speak to us through your word today. And we ask you now to help us be faithful as we observe and interpret and apply your word. Uh, use this study, we ask, to accomplish your purposes in each of our lives. So we open ourselves to you now, Heavenly Father, right at the start of our study. We pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, when we finish things up in the middle of November, that by your grace, we will each be more the people you want us to be, more like your Son, our Savior and our Lord, Jesus, through whom we pray. Amen.